let's jump in. So before we get started, this is the first, we haven't recorded in a couple months, and... And the world is literally... I mean, it's... We're, like, in a new world. Yeah, we are in a new world, and, and we're in the middle of a lot of transformation, and we do want to acknowledge and draw attention to the civil rights movement that we are in the middle of right now. Roberto and I want to just strongly voice our support for Black Lives, for the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, We are definitely learning more every day about how to be better allies. And especially when it comes to making a pride special, it is really important that we acknowledge where pride comes from and why we have the freedoms that we have. And it is very much because of Black queer people, Black women, Black trans women. And it's just probably, it's probably the most important thing that you can say when you're celebrating Pride. Yeah. So off the bat, I've linked some stuff. Um, First off, a lesson plan for non-Black people to become allies and grow, educate themselves, be better allies. This was created by Autumn Gupta and Brianna Wallace. It's available through Black Lives Matter. It's lesson plans broken down into how much time you want to spend each day studying. Do you want it to take a month? Do you want it to take a week? And then it's like different readings, podcasts, viewings, super duper great resources. And it's literally being handed to you and spoon fed to you. So no excuse. Um, I've also linked yearning, which is about race, gender, and cultural politics by bell hooks. Highly suggest bell hooks. um, If you want to educate yourself. Black queer thought. Go for it. Read it. Download it. It's free. It's super easy. Um, and then I also linked the Brown University queer theory reading list that I found. I was looking for just like an archive of Black queer theory, and this is not that. It's it's diverse. It's a bunch of different voices. But um, I was excited about it. I haven't gone through and read all the things in it yet, obviously, but. It is very exciting to me to see a free archive of queer theory resources. It's like the most fun thing to study. I really enjoyed studying queer theory in college. It's like one of the only things that I really miss about those days. Um, And then I also have linked four places for you to donate. So the first one is the Okra Project, which is really, really, really cool. It's a really cool organization. So They pay Black trans chefs to go into the homes of Black trans people and cook meals for them. And the meals are often, they're healthy, they're culturally specific. And I I don't know of a cooler organization doing something very specific and very necessary for Black trans people. Please put your money toward the Okra Project if you're able. The link that I included is a PayPal link, so it directs you straight to PayPal, so it's super-duper easy. If you don't have PayPal, you can also donate through their website using, like, your credit card information. Um, and then I've linked three GoFundMes. The first one is the Homeless Black Trans Women's Fund, which is raising money for Black trans women in Atlanta. And it's actually created by a trans Latina from Colombia, which is really cool. And then we have Mutual Aid Fund for Sex Workers of Color. And this is for Black sex workers, trans sex workers, and sex workers of color in New York during the COVID-19 pandemic. And then the last GoFundMe that I've linked is Save the Gully Queens in Jamaica. This GoFundMe has been up since 2016. Wow. And they have not reached their goal. Uh, So 
put your money out there. It's not even a very large goal. It's a pretty humble goal. But this is raising funds for a specific group of 25 young people. I don't know if it's over the past few years, if it's a, the group of people has probably changed. Right. Um, but it is gay and trans people in Jamaica. And this fund is really there to help house them, feed them, keep them safe off the streets. Please contribute if you can. These are like the three causes that I felt like, or the four causes that I felt like were the ones that were speaking to me to share specifically for our Pride episode. You know, by the time this episode's out, I mean, even now sitting here, like so much of the, the quote hype, right, has died down. Yeah. And I think you can start seeing your, your social media feeds yeah. slowly revert back to, you know, thirst traps and... Yeah. and influencers and you know it's a simple click to to read to share to donate and yeah super easy super necessary we don't want to be a part of just like clouding the feed with distracting nonsense we want to make sure that you know we're contributing to directing people's attention in the right directions we could definitely keep going on this topic i think yeah there are other people saying it better um which is why i've just linked these resources in the description. So now we're going to jump in and we're going to do our hunky, <laughs> fresh, fun <laughs> pride episode. I told you I'm over caffeinated. It's like I have to concentrate really, really hard to not speak like extremely <laughs> fast. I'm like, okay, breathe <sighs> one word at a time. But I am buzzing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is espresso in my blood. I'm tingling. Ooh, I'm like bouncing oh, off the wall. Not every show makes it to season two. excited i'm gonna need you to (laughs) calm the fuck down okay well we're really excited (laughs) because today we're doing our pride special which we did a pride special in 2017 when we first created the podcast and of course it is now dormant um (laughs) may she rest in peace it was pretty embarrassing i did go back and listen to it because i thought about resurrecting it and just kind of like from the archive how was it i remember it being really emotional We did get emotional because we were both kind of talking about our coming out stories and our like journey. Um, But I said a bunch of stuff that I don't agree with anymore. Like I, (laughs) like I just, I I don't remember anything specifically. I actually took notes, but I, I expressed opinions that I no longer hold, which. Well, honey, that's why we cannot listen to this back ever. Well, it was harrowing. It was harrowing to like realize (laughs) that I disagree so strongly with those opinions because we're now doing it again and I think it just means that we're always growing and learning and that there's hopefully always, in two years we'll only be smarter. There's always some kind of hotter. shameful content online yeah. of us. I've done a really good job of most making anything where I look bad or ugly disappear <laughs> from online besides the ugly things I intentionally post. But well, those are all bes- behind it like a, a just wall. Just a peek into, you know, a peek behind the window. Mm-hmm. That was one of the reasons why I think initially, not I think, it's, I know why we stopped recording the first time because I was so nervous about having an online presence like that. Um, having your opinions 
online that people could take issue with, especially about entertainment. Yeah. Since you are pursuing a career in the industry, having like you dragging TV shows seemed a little <laughs> bit dangerous. But now I feel fine about it. I feel... I gave you that pep talk. You gave me that pep talk. I, it just no longer feels like a death sentence and, you know, anything embarrassing that I have said. Like, I often think about embarrassing things that I said literally on the last episode we recorded. Yeah. It's just like, you know what? That's who I was in that moment. Yeah. And when we say embarrassing things, we don't mean, you know, cancelable offenses. We right. just mean, like, us having, like, opinions, like... <laughs> that we no longer agree with. Yeah. Just like, or just like television opinions, essentially. The way so certain things are delivered, I think sometimes we're choice. We can come across harsher than we are. And um, dumber than we are. Um, I'm speaking for myself. Okay. I mean, I think we come across pretty accurately, um, <laughs> but you know, it seems like another opinion that you might disagree on later. It's hard to, caffeinate during quarantine because I'm also like not active and I'm not getting exercise as much like I mean I I'm trying to be conscious about it but like you Roberto seen me the last couple weeks like I've been <laughs> I've totally lost steam with the working out I've become so lazy um mentally lazy physically lazy emotionally not so lazy really <laughs> been doing that emotional work I will say loving therapy highly recommend would love to get a sponsorship from better help on this podcast that would be great um, can endorse. I'm having breakthroughs. You need to say something or I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was interested to see how Like far, where how I was going to go. Where, yeah, where that no. journey would lead us. Oh, I'm uh, so excited. Well, I'm Pride excited month. to talk about... Look, so often you and I are just like on the hunt for fun, gay, sexy content. It doesn't even have to be fun or sexy. Like at the bare minimum, we just want gay content. The year is 2020 and it is still genuinely hard to find good gay content. Like, yeah. it, I mean, y'all, you all know that. Yeah. All of us listening to this podcast know about the deficit, the <laughs> thirst, the desire for queer content, yeah. for diverse queer content. And I mean, even looking at the shows that we've covered... You know, when the gayest thing is just the essence of Britney Spears. <laughs> like, <laughs> when like, the gayest thing is that there's some attractive men. <laughs> like, that, it's really... And, and queer people know, like, we will be digging for that representation. Was there a gay character on The Beautiful Life? Like... Oh, the predatory agent. Oh, oh. right. Oh, yes. <laughs> gay predators. We love that representation. Ugh. <sighs> 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 Ooh. Yeah. Is it hitting you? <laughs> the coffee? <laughs> All of it. Just the experience of being queer and wanting that, yeah. like, a taste of, just a taste of queer flavors yeah. in our in our television, in our movies. and So to dive in, um, the first thing I want to talk about is still processing. Now, this podcast is huge. It, like, doesn't need me to give it a shout-out. Um, yeah. They have, like, 7,000 reviews. It's and been put up on a lot of lists recently, too. Yeah, they've been put up on lists of best podcasts. And, um, but I just really wanted to give my personal Robo Glam Jams endorsement. This has been... First of all, it's it's a, a podcast put on by the New York Times, and it's hosted by Jenna Wortham, who is a culture and like technology writer, and Wesley Morris, who um, is a film critic, and they are just 
first of all, they are queer, they are black, they are so smart and so funny. And for me, I think oftentimes I'm looking at media, looking for that escapism, right? Like looking yeah. for just like that gay romance that I want. Exactly. But I think with this podcast, it was such, it was, it felt like going back to a class that I loved or going back to a conversation with a friend that I felt like really elevated um, my thought process. Something actually intellectually stimulating. Yeah, like they're, they're friends and they're gabbing, but they're also looking at pop culture through the lens of sexuality and race. Um, And they have covered so many fun, cool topics. Um, I I wrote down three of the episodes that I just remember being really, really fun. One of them was, um, I believe these are from like the 2019 um, year or season, um, but it was called We Black Splain, Black Splaining, and they kind of just take you through the tour. Uh, they give you a tour of black exploitation films, but then also kind of how that's morphed into film today and they they look at films like the hate you give and sorry to bother you which i know is a film you love do they do an, an episode on sorry to bother you it was just they they cover it in this well, they 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 talk about the movie i think that i know you were not crazy about that movie i thought it was jaw-droppingly genius um i i i don't have even the tools or the vernacular to discuss that film well that it is genius that please watch it's the feeling that i typically have. I feel like sometimes I definitely struggle to articulate my opinion. So of course I started a podcast, but <laughs> but I think listening to other people, it encourages me to have those conversations and engage and just develop that language. Yeah. And I don't know, it, they are just like my friends in my head who are really smart and, and educating you. And, and I just want to hang out with them. Um, but another episode they have is a Whoopi Goldberg episode. Really? <laughs> you just had to take a little sip from I'm your sorry. straw. <laughs> um, a Whoopi Goldberg episode, which she is a queen. She's an icon. She's I an egot. She, she is everything. the egot. Exactly. And John Legend. Um, and then they have a really, really fun episode about goop called We Got Gooped, where they just talk about the difference in like the wellness culture by examining Gwyneth Paltrow's goop and Oprah. And just talking about... <laughs> like comparing their brands? Yeah. And... Do you think they are very, very different? As far as the skincare wellness products, I don't mean like... Other well, they were mostly talking about the spirituality. Oh, the spirituality aspect. stuff. Okay. I, as, as far as I can remember. I don't know anything about Goop spiritually. Because we could <laughs> not get through the Goop show. It was really, really dull. Um, but those are three really fun episodes of Still Processing. Once again, they're huge. People love them. Um... And I often turn to them. Um, they are podcasting while in quarantine. And it's a good time. Podcasts are the future of entertainment. Yeah. They're also the present and also the past. Um, okay, so I want to talk about the new Perfume Genius record, yeah. Set My Heart on Fire Immediately, which is probably one of the most fun album titles um, ever. I'm not going to intellectualize around the music. I'm not <laughs> a music critique. Despite having great taste. Thank you. Yes, I do have immaculate taste. Um, uh, you know how I get about the white gays. I am very tired of them. Um, they're loud. <laughs> they're annoying. They're rude. Um, <laughs> I would say Mike Hadreus is my favorite white gay, right? Do I have one that I prefer? I don't. 
I, not one that comes to mind. Mm, yeah, but, I, I would say not. I might um, have an epiphany later. Yeah, Perfume Genius is my actually my favorite musical artist of the the present era, and my number one most played on Spotify of all time. So I'm a genuine fan. I have the receipts. I have the plays. I put in the hours. <laughs> um, in college, I wrote a final essay for my queer theory and media course. I wrote it about his last record, which was No Shape. And I wrote it like it was a magazine article and got like a C or a B minus because I didn't follow the instructions of the assignment. Um, And then I dropped out of college (laughs) immediately after. But uh, yeah, the new record is super intimate. It feels musically less sort of intense than the last record and less poppy and more intimate, but also like extremely big musically and atmospherically and his music, his lyrics, you know, they always have something to do with queer identity, gender expression, fluidity, being gay, gay sex, sex with men when you're also a man. <laughs> you know, these are all themes that get covered. And um, oh, some what, of my favorite things. <laughs> what I like about the new album is lyrically, a lot of the lyrics remind me of his early stuff when it was just like him on the piano. And it, the songs feel so vulnerable and so like naked. And it's it, lyrically, it feels like that kind of content. But then musically, it feels like his last two records, which were so sort of experimental and exciting. Um, and I think he worked with Blake Mills again on this record, but I could be wrong. You ha- you It has a nine on Pitchfork, and you linked a little quote here. Do you want to read it? Oh, sure. I mean, you kind of literally just said this, um, but he said that uh, he considers the record's themes to be similar to his first two releases, uh, dense with inner struggles around self-image, depression, and emotion. Oh, that's actually crazy because... That's literally. I didn't what he even just read said. that quote. I didn't even read that quote. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, Pitchfork and I agree. Um, but where you know his earlier albums were more skeletal piano melodies, this one is bright and lush. It is bright and lush. It's a fun album. I remember being really moved by "Describe." That's like a song that I just keep going back to. I think it's so simple and it's then so like, pretty, but then it like fuels my soul. On the floor and without you are danceable jams. Jason is fragile and. It, like, is tense. It's intense. What else can I say about it? It's beautiful. I know you think the back half of the album is a little bit sleepy. People who know me personally know that I I love sleepy music. Roberto and I's music that we listen to together is typically pop jams, more upbeat stuff. But on my own time, I do like some brutally depressing sounds. Um, I like intimate relaxing music i think a lot of it is the way that i listen to music now as opposed to the era when i would go home put on sarah mclaughlin yeah and just stare into the dark void i think now the way i listen to music is when i'm going on walks when i'm moving when i'm in my car so i think not that sad yeah emotional jams don't affect me i would say car car music is very different yeah I have spent a lot of time crying to Perfume Genius. I I discovered him in 2014 when Too Bright came out. And Too Bright is still, like, one of... Like, I I do believe that 
No Shape and Set My Heart on Fire immediately are better records. But but Too Bright is just so personal to me because it, it was coming at like such an important time in my life and it was so impactful. Um, I want to like pick favorite songs from Set My Heart on Fire immediately, but I just can't. I'm not ready to pick favorites yet. For me, it's like all 13 of them in order in one sitting, like just give the album like the time it deserves. And clearly I'm not as passionate about Perfume Genius as Abby, but I think that anyone who takes the time to sit down and listen or watch music videos or performances, like it's so clear that he is such an artist through and through. And when I saw him in concert, he does kind of leave you a little breathless. He did a really long encore and him and his boyfriend, Alan, played the song Alan together on the piano. And I was like shivering and crying it was so intense (laughs) um and you know what it set my heart on fire immediately period i have to pee from all of the caffeine i've been drinking i'll just leave it recording oh i'll be quick i'll leave it recording well in case you want to have a little private moment with the mic i I mean i'm not so it'll just be dead air for a little while no how was your pee um you know what it was forceful and it sounded violent it was flooding it was um yeah it was like a waterfall it was intense it was (laughs) it's not gonna be the only time i have to pause because i'm i have more coffee left all right (laughs) are you ready to talk about elite Uh, it's like no but yes look Uh, we have talked about this show look we're gonna keep talking about it we're gonna keep talking about it so just let us be elite is the embodiment of the debbie ryan hair tuck (laughs) It is just... It's... Oh, what? (laughs) Continue? I I mean, you and I, we've brought it up, right? But I don't think we've really talked about it. And if we have, then everyone's... Whatever, whatever. Like, we could could make an elite podcast where we just talk about elite, but I feel like that probably exists already. The thing is, we have told all of our friends to watch it. Um, Some of them have. The ones who did have thanked us. They're the real ones. They're the real ones. It is one of those shows where, like, Roberto and I like teen content. We do. I mean, we're both 22. Um, We didn't have glamorous high school experiences. (laughs) No. But coming-of-age stories are relatable to everyone, including people in their 20s. And this show is... It transcends coming-of-age genre. Is 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 an important part of the show, right? But just they all look like 20-year-olds. Well, because they are. Because they are. So to me... you have to cast adults in shows like this. So to me, it's just about people our age. Yeah. That just... I happen to still be in a hallway. But... At their prep school in Spain. Look, Elite is a show that dropped in 2018 and literally changed the game. It changed cinema. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a Netflix original from Spain. It was created by Carlos Montero and Dario Madrona. And it's a huge ensemble um, of really attractive, delicious Spanish people. (laughs) worthy. Roberto and I have... Inside the front cover of my Buffy coloring book, <laughs> handwritten our rankings um, in order of of hotness yeah. of the cast. Um, but the thing is, from really top hard. to bottom, there's no loser. There's no loser. There's no loser. I mean, there probably Maybe are. Maybe Kayetana. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot say that out loud. Um, they're all so beautiful. But it's also like, 
a very engaging plot. Yeah. Murder mystery. So the show, um, I lovingly, you know, describe it as how to get away with murder meets Gossip Girl meets Cruel Intentions. But like... That's really accurate. Spanish and really diverse. Um, diverse and vicarious. Exactly. And queer. And that's why we have to talk about this show. So look, three seasons are out. We're going to probably spoil it. We are going to spoil it right now. So... How much are we going to spoil? I mean, we have to talk about the queer elements. Um, But look, after season one came out, um, Netflix reported that over 20 million accounts streamed it within the first month. I believe it. And it's extremely popular in America as much as it is in Spain, I'm pretty sure. like it's that's what gets me, is how big the show is. How it's getting people to watch a Spanish-language show. And also how gay it is it's very gay i think that even you watch a show like this and i had this experience i think we both kind of felt this season two when when a new pairing would come and it's like you don't even have to read fan fiction because the show will give you any it gives you exactly what you would want to write on (laughs) Wattpad, but better yeah it's we have a gay couple so, yeah, and that was a big, that's actually what got me watching the show. There, There's a couple, Ander and Omar. Yeah. Um, and the first season, they, you know, it's their arc of getting together. But Netflix, like, tweeted a photo of the couple, I think, because it was so big. And, yeah. you know, they were getting a lot of homophobic tweets. And Netflix just, like, tweeted, re- tweeted back with some rainbows. Like, oh, wow, Netflix, thanks. I know. But- <laughs> Another win. <laughs> <laughs> But it was just, but I think, again, it struck me because of the, the size of the show. Like, yeah. this isn't some, like, little thing that everyone's missing. Yeah. Like, it's a show that people are I didn't know. Up. I didn't know that Spain was giving the good good. Yeah. Like, I really didn't know. And it turns out there's a lot of incredible Spanish shows. So we have the, the Andor and Omar gay couple, of course. But then, By you know, season three. Well, still in, before even leaving season one, you know, we have first what appears to be, like, a possible thruple. We do get a thruple moment. Between Carla. I mean, it's not even a possible thruple. It's like a... Well, they at least have... They engage in group sex together. It's the characters of Carla, Polo, and Christian. And what was really exciting to me... Polo will later identify as bisexual, and you get the sense that... But with Christian, it's like... He doesn't... I think... I don't think the character would identify as bisexual or even being interested in men, really. He was just kind of like, well, this guy's... Blowing me, you know? <laughs> sure. I mean, he definitely enjoyed it. So yeah. that answers your question and labels are unimportant. Um, but it was it was this feeling of just... There's an erotic... There's an erotic quality to the show. To, yeah. It's an erotic show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we... I was like... I mean, I was like jaw-dropped by the, by the thruple moment in season yeah. one. Um, and then season two, you have the three friends the three male friends one of them is asleep and the other two are in bed next to him oh mutual masturbation moment yeah <laughs> it's just like triple m <laughs> this is you're like yeah. who else is giving us this moment to be riot and then in season three we have another thruple and another bisexual man yeah and, so and i think the the wonderful thing about the show is is how effortless it is it doesn't feel like I mean, you know, with with a few of the characters, they're struggling with that sexuality early on. It doesn't feel forced. Yeah. And it doesn't feel... And um, the characters don't feel any pressure or any... 
need to identify themselves or label themselves or, or like, yeah. when, and, like when Rebe was kind of like, yeah, Carla is hot. Like, I want that. Oh my God. I forgot she had that line. Okay. I really hope that they make Rebe queer Where in the, the next show... season because the one thing that we ha- haven't seen is queer women. Yeah. That's a major thing. And would love to see a trans character. I feel like these are all things that they could potentially deliver. Yeah. Just given the way that the show is, I think it's a huge possibility. Um, but mostly it's gay men and bisexual men, which is cool. Gay Muslim I, men. Yes. I think that was true. a really exciting thing to watch too. I like seeing bisexual representation for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, I do think bisexual men tend to be rarely depicted because of the sort of stigma around it and the idea that like if you're a bisexual man you're probably just gay um that was very exciting in watching polo's storyline yeah where it's like he they could have easily just been like oh yeah he's just kind of gay and- but he's like so clearly bi yeah and that's so and valerio as well yeah i love to see that and just like for the bisexual men in my life, it does it does strike me that it is often harder for bisexual men to come out than bisexual women. Not to say it isn't difficult for us, but and it obviously depends on where your your culture and where you come from and your family, etc. But not a lot of shows really give bisexual representation, and I felt so blown away and excited that Elite was truly giving you these incredibly well-rounded bisexual characters. They're in the forefront. They're not. Yeah, they're not tertiary. Tertiary? Tertiary. They're not tertiary <laughs> characters. They're the main characters of the show. So I'm just excited for the show to grow, to get even gayer. You know what? The straight sex is really fun, too. Yeah. There's a, a little bit of everything. All of the flavors <laughs> are delicious. Um, the show is not exclusively about sex. There is also <laughs> storylines. There's mysteries. There's... It's a murder mystery. Um it's about family. It's about friendship. It's about culture. It's class about racism. Struggle. It's about class struggle. Yeah. Um, it has everything. It's the greatest show. I'm very nervous about season four, but like, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I'm nervous going into every season and usually the first episode there, I do have that, that it's not going to live up to <sighs> something. Yeah. yeah. I'm like this. It's already, it's, this isn't it. And then by like episode three, I'm like yeah. gagging. I mean, because I think episode three, if you look at each of the three seasons, episode three is where shit starts to pop off. It gets really sexy and it gets really crazy. There is that little that little hiccup in season two, the the um the strong, very um constantly in your face incest plot that okay. we forgot to mention is uncomfortable. Um, but it also just shows that they're really not afraid to go there. I think it's really funny because it, we watched season two with the incestuous plotline, and yeah. then we got really into the VC Andrews universe, <laughs> the VC Andrews lifetime universe, where that woman really had issues. She was obs- <laughs> like, I don't even want to know. Like, I just don't even want to know. But I love her lifetime content. <laughs> That's a story for like another day. But uh, yeah, uh, it's such a good show. It's I, I really think they're going to give us a handful of new characters in season two. Yeah, and I'm excited about that. And by season two, I mean season four. <laughs> Shall Speaking we move of on? Netflix, should yeah. we talk about Cheer? Oh my gosh. The six-part docuseries following the nationally ranked Navarro College Bulldogs cheer team from Corsicana, Texas. It was so overwhelming. Starring Coach Monica Aldama. Is that her last name? Yeah. And... My queen. The team's journey. 
Jerry Harris, Morgan, how do you say that? I don't know. Simeonair. Our girl Lexi. Lexi Broomback. Ladarius Marshall. Gabby Butler. <laughs> Queen. Queen Gabby Butler. <laughs> <laughs> Short circuiting. Queen Gabby Butler. Before you judge cheer, before you dismiss it as shallow, trashy, I'm sure, like, going into it, I think I was like, oh, is this like a dance month thing? Is this yeah. kind of like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, whatever that show was? It is such a dead serious documentary <laughs> yeah. about elite level talented athletes. Yeah, it is. Like, they're unbelievably talented. Yeah. Um, and they're deep in the heart of Texas, leading the world in cheerleading. And it's, it's, you know, it's not like shaking pom-poms and dancing, which we love that. Not, not here to hate. Bring it on is fantastic. But it is like, I mean, it's, it's acrobatics. It's gymnastics. It's highly skilled athletic work. So many of the members of the team are gay. And I think I was thinking back on it, even if like, I think, I think about a character kind of like Morgan. Yeah. So, so each episode, the the six part documentary kind of is a lead up to their big national competition. Yeah. Um, And each kind of episode you, they really highlighted a few of the members. And of course they highlighted the ones who have had the biggest struggles. Yeah. Um, yeah. They pick getting, out the like, you know. We get those tear jerkers. Yeah. Um, I, I cried. Yeah. And I, you know how I am. I mean, I yeah. don't cry that often. I full on cried watching cheer. But I think, I think of, of a person like Morgan, who's like parents abandoned her and she was living in a trailer and by herself by herself and Monica saw something in her and really guided her and so much about the show is about the community that you're building which I think feels like such a very queer experience um about finding your people when you feel like the world has rejected you and finding also something incredible to be proud of in yourself like an incredible skill that you can lean on and and find community in and find self-respect through that and And it's very moving you think of character not characters but of people like ladarius who is um really hard he's jaded physically from being an incredible athlete but also you know from his experiences of of growing up and his brothers bullying him i think he talked about and just like brutal homophobia yeah yeah so it's but but the show is triumphant in the end, right? It's about yeah. all of these people, like, despite... Overcoming. Overcoming. Yeah. But Jerry is, like, the fan favorite. Oh, Jerry. And he his story definitely touches on homophobia as well. Yeah. In addition to loss, grief, well, family. And it's a show that it's it's looking at Black gay men... In Texas. In Texas. Who are cheerleaders. Oh my gosh, the scene where Jerry and Ladarius are like walking back to back home or whatever. And these two guys come up to them and you're like, is something about to go down? And Yeah, like, you're like so worried that they're going to get like, you know, insulted or harassed. And they're like, wait, you guys are cheerleaders? Can you do a backflip? And they yeah. do and they're like, what? Yeah, it's literally like, wait, you guys are the award-winning cheerleaders? Um, Show us what you can do. It was awesome. And they're so excited to show off their skills. Like, of course. Yeah, just watching them cheer 
makes you want to cry. But then also hearing their stories makes you want to cry. And now I do feel like I am a cheerleading aficionado. I mean, I I want another season. I can see a shaky base from a mile away. I mean, I think that they could keep covering the Navarro squad. Yeah. Like, indefinitely. I would watch more seasons of this. And I also Um, think back to there's a moment where Coach Monica Queen, you know, she is... You would assume she's this very, like, conservative woman with French tips. Yeah. Living in Texas. And she was talking about her team, her boys getting harassed. And she's like, no, like, they are my family. These are my boys. I have my beliefs. I think think she is Christian and she talks about that. But also being like, at the end of the day, I know their hearts and like. This is my team. These are my boys. These are my kids. Do not disrespect them. Do not talk shit on them. Absolutely not. I would just like to have like an ounce of the power that Monica does. She's an extremely strong mother figure and I don't agree with perhaps all of her choices. (laughs) Um, I think she's a really intense coach. I mean, she also has the best team in the country because of, Well, I think the funniest part, right, is you have the perception of this hard coach, but like... But she she doesn't yell at them. I mean, it's clear that she loves the kids. Like, it's very obvious that she loves them. So, (laughs) radical... Switch from real people to horror. Horror. Look, we got Shudder and just like officially ascended to horror gay status. We didn't. We we didn't officially ascend. We've been horror gays. Um, look, Halloween is Christmas. It is <laughs> the holiday. We are horror gays. We would rather watch a B horror than pretty much anything else. But yeah, we need to talk about... I do feel like there was this really funny shift in our dynamic, I feel like, at home, where on occasion it's like, you know, we're watching our show, we're watching our show, and then it's like, okay, what movie do we watch? And of course, I'm always trying to watch literal gutter trash, like something that will melt my brain. And you, I think, are more inclined to watch a real movie. And then somewhere along the way, it's just like, what horror movie are we watching yeah. today? I mean, on the one hand, you know, I gave up on trying to get you to watch the Criterion Collection. <laughs> it also seems like whenever I don't want to watch a movie is when you decide to watch a real movie. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. <laughs> but um, I like walk in and you're watching like a noir. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but um, but I think horror is just like, it's our overlap of like our strongest shared taste of like what we both really, really enjoy. Because I think you enjoy even the worst horror. I do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it. Yeah. Um, and it's been cool to get you to watch my favorites and then also watching new stuff together, but we are working our way through the nightmare on Elm street franchise. Um, I know what you're thinking. 80 slasher gay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think a lot of people know about A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's yeah, Revenge. Yeah, they do. It is. It was, <laughs> it was new to us. We just recently experienced it for the first time. It has a lot of haters. It had a lot of homophobic backlash when it was first released in the 80s. A lot of people, you know, see it as a weak link in the series, not only because of the gay subtext, but also because just of the movie as it is, like yeah. the plot, the story. I... I am of the opinion that it's an excellent film. I really, really enjoy it. Um, I do think it's an outlier because it, I think it's it a- changes Freddy's abilities. It's not just about dreaming. It's a possession movie. But it's really enjoyable and clever. Well, I would say I think everyone is probably familiar with the A Nightmare on Elm Street story. There is a serial killer named Freddy with the razor 
hand. A razor hand who comes stalks, to you in your sleep. Stalks teens in their sleep. Um, but yeah, I would say that I think it's a great movie, but I don't think it's a good Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which I think is the consensus. Yeah. Um, well, because it's it completely changes and expands Freddy's abilities because he possesses the lead character. Yeah. It's so, not really about dreaming. A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, uh, dropped in 1985 and it follows Jesse. Um, in the first movie, our final girl is Nancy. Um, and in this movie, we're, we're picking up a few years later. Jesse's family has just moved into Nancy's house and she starts experiencing some odd dreams. Um, and then, yes, like you said, Freddie possesses him and uh, the movie is just so fun and bizarre and bonkers. Um, it was, I written, also think it's scary. Yeah. It was written by David Chaskin, which uh, that's a whole Honestly, conversation that guy. Um, and directed by Jack shoulder. And fuck that guy too. so the original movie was directed I by, said what I said. by King Wes Craven, the original first um, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is, you know, it's a better movie. And he turned down the sequel because he thought the script was silly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, it's like, where's and the, the lie? the original script was a pregnancy story. Yeah, it was, like a, it was like a baby script. Yeah. Um, he thought it was silly. There was He didn't feel like there was a clear-cut hero. Yeah. Because our lead, Jesse, um, first of all, he he's not a female. I think that's one of the... Yeah. One of the big things they talk about. But he's is, also not the hero, is the thing. Right. Like, he's the protagonist. Right. But he doesn't save the day. Right. He's the victim through and through. Right. So, so much of the movie touches, there's, it's not even subtext. It's like so over. It's very clearly gay. Yeah. Text, um, period. But so much of the movie, you you get the sense that Jesse is supposed to be kind of like a, a repressed homosexual figure. Yeah. I mean, he's queer coded beyond, beyond. Yeah. Um, Despite having a female love interest. And, you know, the Freddy, the demon within, the gay within. Yeah. Ripping his way out. Freddy. And the only way that he's saved in the end is by <laughs> getting the girl to kiss him. Yeah. And, and, the, and the writer straight up said at one point, like, well, this movie's homophobic because, like, he's gay, but then he gets saved by, like, the power of straight love, which then he took back as, like, not being true. Um, when it comes to, like, is this movie empowering or is this movie homophobic? I think most queer people would agree, especially queer people in the 80s, that just seeing representation at all was exciting. And Jesse is a really fun character. I think it's one of those he's things vulnerable. where the intention... The intention was bad. But we've, like, reclaimed it. <laughs> the execution was fabulous. And also due to the lead actor who plays Jesse, who was, in fact, a closeted gay man at the time um, who did not agree to be in a queer movie. Yeah. Um, but clearly, you know, they leaned on on his mannerisms and, and his, you know. Well, the most, so this one is kind of connected to the next, our, the next thing on our list, which, which was in 2019, they released uh, a documentary also on Shudder. Um, oh, I was about to say we should get a Shutter sponsorship, so we're just yeah. getting that. that Shutter, we love you. Um, but they uh, there was a, a documentary called Scream Queen: yeah. My Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, um, that was a documentary, kind of looking back at, at the 
the history of this movie and looking at the the lead, Mark Patton, and and everything that he experienced. But one thing that was really they talk about in the documentary, part of the the queerness, I guess you could say, about the second movie was the the idea of the final girl and the final girl having yeah. to be in the slasher. Yeah. Um, and how by him being a man, there was he had to get to a place of vulnerability that yeah. that is uncomfortable for yeah. for people to see in, in like and a he male quote hero. unquote screams like a girl yeah. and he's afraid. And the person I mean, I think this was exciting not only for queer representation, but also for gender. The hero, really, the person who saves him is the female love interest. Yeah. And she protects him and looks out for him. And it's like him going to her for protection. Yeah. And of course, people in the 80s, like people didn't like it. They didn't like seeing like a young man be vulnerable, scream like a girl, whatever. Um, do that dance, that really fun dance. Do a sexy scene. little dance with a little tiny baseball bat. And even beyond that, you know, he goes to a gay club and he has this really uncomfortable experience with his coach. In the middle of the night. That like, lands them in the the, sh- the shower. It's just so like mind boggling to me that the director claims that he didn't even know that there was gay subtext. Yeah. How stupid was this man? Yeah. He was like, oh, I didn't get that there was any gay subtext. I didn't see it. I'm like, you're an idiot. When deadass in the script, right, he goes to a drag bar, a BDSM drag bar, where his coach is there in a leather harness. <laughs> he then, his coach then makes him go back to the gym. And it feels like a dream sequence, but then you realize afterward that it was actually happening. But because of Nightmare on Elm Street, you're like, is this a dream? Yeah. And and it's Jesse's not fully in control of himself. He's possessed by Freddy Krueger. He leads his, his coach, brings him back to the gym and makes him run laps. Then they go into the showers. Um, the coach gets smothered in the office by balls, <laughs> by sports balls that go flying off the walls. Then he goes into the shower room where he is chained up by his hands by Freddy, um, stripped down and spanked with a towel. It was such a surreal moment. Like, wait, (laughs) how is this 1985 slasher gayer than just about everything? And the director is like, what? Gay? (laughs) Like, Well, for me, I think one of the most kind of exciting elements of the movie was also his relationship to the really hot mean jock. Yeah. So there's, of course, at first they're enemies. Um, The jock is always shirtless. There's a wrestling scene where you see his ass in a jock strap. And then Jesse, at one point in the movie, comes to him for help. Yeah. And the guy's like, are you in love with me? And it's this, you're like, are they friends? Clearly there's sexual tension. Yeah. Am I okay? Yeah. You know, how much of this is intentional? I think that, that is the fun of watching the movie, trying to decide how much of. Yeah. I'm of the opinion, and I think I share this opinion with the actor, Mark Patton, that it was all intentional. And that they very clearly, from the get-go, from the script, queer-coded this movie. And the intentions were not, you know, empowering to queer people. Well, but... It's been embraced by the by queer horror fans because, of course, we love a little delicious moment, a little gay representation, a little nothing is demon. better than a Freddy drag queen. I, I would <laughs> I would strongly agree. And the documentary, which explores Mark Patton's life and career, 
It is hard to... It's really hard to watch because his career was destroyed by this film. Because at this time, or soon thereafter, was, you know, the AIDS crisis. It was in the middle of the AIDS crisis. He was, yeah. I mean, and they blamed him for... For the movie being gay. The, The writer of the script, like, went on record and was like... There was, like, maybe a little bit of subtext, but then, like, the casting is really what made it gay. Um, and essentially outed Mark yeah. by blaming him for the movie being gay, um, despite the fact that the movie was extremely gay in the script from the beginning. And that probably informed why they chose to cast Mark in the first place. But it is, like, head-scratching. The, 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 the director didn't see it, the, the female lead. She's like, I didn't sense it. Well, probably because of the scenes she was in. Right. The jock was like, I knew from my audition. Like, yeah. he knew. So it was. it's really yeah. interesting, I think, like, the the blinders that people yeah. on and, like, what you choose to see yeah. and not see. And the way that they argue over, like, the dancing scene where they were like, well, you made it gay because of the way you were dancing. And then Mark is like, it literally said in the script that I was supposed to, like, close the drawer with my ass and, like, do all this, like, yeah. you know, like sort of whatever, like, a sexual or effeminate stuff. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, as queer horror fans, it's just a really fun movie. And Mark now has, I mean, he's been extremely embraced after disappearing for many years, 20 yeah. years, 30 years. He now tours with the movie and does horror conventions and events, like, oftentimes hosted by drag queens dressed as Freddy Krueger. And... He is a hero to to gay horror fans. Uh, it was really. I think that oftentimes I I I I don't have a sense of what's happening. <laughs> it, just in the way that like I love horror movies, and of course I'm like, yeah, gays gays love Halloween. But there was something about watching, you know, the scene where where Mark is hanging out with the Freddy drag queen and and just the love that the audience feels like for I just, I I guess I I had never really connected my gay identity to maybe some of the themes that are often explored in horror movies. So that was just a really fun thing to watch. Yeah. We talked a lot, like when I was in college, we talked a lot about like queer coded villains. Yeah. And the thing about this Nightmare on Elm Street movie is it's not that the villain is queer coded. It's that the, the protagonist is wrestling with queerness yeah. in addition to wrestling with being possessed by a demon. Yeah. Um, and also the hero is a woman. I just, I don't know, all around for me, it's just like a fun, exciting movie. Um, despite, you know, not being very impressed with the director or the writer and the way they handle themselves and the way they treated Mark. Um, definitely recommend watching the documentary because it just is super enlightening documentary you can find on Shudder and you can stream all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies on HBO Max along with Pretty Little Liars that's so exciting that's good to know (laughs) um I now have to pee so I just want to go real hard I just want to go real hard I mean we're almost out of boxed wine well we have to go grocery shopping anyway because we're also like our refrigerator is empty I don't know if you've noticed (laughs) that there's nothing in there and my ass is most worried about the boxed wine. I mean, I know who I am. They're both necessities, so let's go shopping tomorrow. <laughs> Great. I need everyone to hear me out because MTV is Are You the One? Come one, come all. 
everyone has been talking about it because I think this came out, so it was 2019. So this has been out for a hot minute, but if you didn't get a chance to watch it, MTV is real stingy about what they will stream. So you do have to drop $20. $20 is a lot of money. I know. I think we should just do it. Because it's... Because I haven't seen the whole season and like I've seen the cast around LA. Like I keep seeing the same cast member like, well, before we went to lockdown. I, right. I ran into her a couple times. But, um, and another cast member that like is an Emerson grad. If you are looking for really fun gay content, Are You the One, Come One, Come All is the place to be. I want to voice, I want to just make it very clear right here on the record that I want to be cast on this show very badly. Um, I am a queer person. I am a (laughs) pansexual, bisexual person. I am fluid, perfect for this show. Please give me an opportunity to find love. You know, I'm single and I'm desperate. (laughs) I have everything. Oh, if it's not The Bachelor, it has to be. <laughs> I know, because I'm also like, should I, I, I'm also trying to get on The Bachelor. Look, like, it's the, the, the benefit of being bisexual. You know, I can go on any kind of dating show. At the end of the day, everything's your on the menu. range. My range. My range. Is a Debbie Ryan hair yeah. <laughs> I know. So, thank you. So, for those who aren't familiar, Are You the One is an incredible group dating reality television competition show. Yeah. In which... A group of people, uh, typically originally it was like 10 guys, 10 girls. Whatever, we, the, irrelevant. Right. But just so people know what's happening. 10 guys, 10 girls, they've all been, um, they've all taken a bunch of like compatibility tests. They've been interviewed. Their family, friends, exes have been interviewed. Science has picked out who their perfect match is. This is what I need. This is Science. So they go into this house. They don't know who their perfect match is. And throughout like 10 weeks or whatever, they have to identify who their perfect match is um, in order for them collectively to win, I believe like a million dollars or something. It might not be a million dollars, but a a great sum of money. Um, Each week at the end of the episode, they go through a ceremony where they couple up. And then before them, they they get like a light show where... There's a light that corresponds with each couple and however many light up is however many couples are correct, but they don't know. And then each week they can send couples into the truth booth. And that is the only definitive way to know if you are in fact a perfect match. Um, But the great thing about the show is, right, is is people will hook up, they'll couple up, um, and then they'll find out that they're not a perfect match, but then they like have no interest in talking to anyone else and it like ruins the game for everyone. So, okay. So this season of Are You The One, it's season eight. It came out in 2019 and it was the first season where all of the couple or every single person on the show was fluid. Fluid. Yeah. Um. So, so no particular gender preference. Correct. And it made the game harder because anyone could be, your match. your match. Yeah. Um, but I remember being so blown away during the first episode to just, I think so often, like you talked about at the beginning of, of this pod, like the representation that we get is like yeah. a white, handsome, straight passing man. Yeah. Like that is the gate sidekick that is like the gbf yeah that is what we get so to see such a diverse array of 
queer people. Beautiful queer people. Gender diversity, sexual diversity. Yes. I really want to watch it. Like, I really do. And it, it sucks that it is, like, behind this paywall because I'm being denied what I most desire. Um, and, and, like, we mentioned, like, it's so diverse. There, There's... Um, one person named Kai, who I think is the Emerson alum that you were referring yeah. to, and they identify as a queer, transmasculine, non-binary human yeah. who has chosen to medically transition. There's other trans people on the show as well, right? There's not. There's a lot of. There's non-binary. Bassett is non-binary. Non-binary and genderqueer, um, and just. But, but I think Kai might be the only, yeah. f- from what I recall, trans person. Trans, but it but was a variety of gender expressions for sure. But I think. You know, growing up in South Carolina, going to college in Florida, and even during Emerson, I feel like despite how liberal it was, like I was just like working all the time. So I feel like yeah. I didn't get a lot of time to kind of just live and, and immerse myself in, in communities. Queer culture. So it was like that phrase, like queer, transmasculine, non-binary, human, like all of that was, I was just, it was so exciting to me. And yeah. It's a victory. And Roberto and I love dating shows in general. Any kind of dating show, like, we'll slurp. Yeah. Um, Love Island, But literally, who who else is giving us a queer dating show? And and it's not like, you know, one bisexual contestant on The Bachelor. Yeah. It's everybody is queer. And they actually talked about, are you the one on Still Processing? And it was really interesting because they, they were just talking about how oftentimes contestants on reality shows are a little... Um, they're not always there. Something's not clicking. Yeah. It, yeah. it just, it just, it does feel like they're maybe not fully formed humans, mm. but I think they were talking about just because of the fact that all of these people are queer, like the, so much of the self analyzation and, yeah. and digging that, that you have to do. And then, you know, Kai was um, getting it on with just about anyone and everyone. And, <laughs> and it's one of these things where you're like, yes, yes. Yeah. But also like, calm down like this is about like deep romantic partnership as opposed to like having fun but you know the show touches on the the idea that a person like Kai it would be really overwhelming to be in a space where suddenly everyone's attracted to you yeah because queer people and queer trans people yeah are used to living in this world where there are so many people that are just straight and being immersed in heteronormativity. Yeah. And so to be in a, in a house that's like zero heteronormativity. Give it to me. Yeah. And I don't know what I would do. I would freak out. I would, but you know what? I, I would worry like in that setting, like that I would just be last pick, <laughs> you know, like I would just get in the, in those insecurities, like, because everybody is so fuckable. And but. I think, and there was another really interesting dynamic that, not interesting. Like, I think it's yeah. pretty common, but to see it confronted on TV, you know, there was Basit, who is a beautiful, non-binary, just incredible person. And, you know, the person that they were interested in, Jonathan, was kind of stuck in the idea of, like, the mask guy. And, like, yeah. despite the, like, of being the mask guy or wanting, wanting to be with the mask wanting guy? To be with wanting like, to be with that. Yeah. And it was yeah. it so much of, it was like a perfect storm of them having to really confront these issues. That, the like mask for mask yeah. sort of white gay culture, which is so frustrating and exclusive. And 
MTV had, I mean, this show was critically acclaimed when it dropped, like everyone was gasping. Everyone was like, give me more. This is so good because they, it's not just a dating show, right? Like they're talking about issues that you face in the community. Yeah. And I have applied. And they, they're the next, the following season. Which, they're looking for queer twins. Well, it was supposed to come out last year. So I wonder what's going on. If, I mean, if COVID stuff came up. Obviously or, it, it's been put on hold for COVID, but I, it was put on hold even before. Yeah. So I do hope that they come back. It was critically acclaimed, but did it get the high viewership? Maybe it didn't pull in numbers. Well, MTV, like it, it got another season yeah. and MTV wanted to do another fluid Should season. I apply again? I mean, why not? I, I mean, in my opinion, it would be a huge loss for them to ever go back to not doing a fluid season. I agree. I mean, if they want to no longer do a fluid season, then, you know, give us a lesbian season and then give us a gay season. And there like, were rumors that keep, keep doing, you know, keep it, keep it queer. Like I, we have the straight dating shows. We have too many. Like we need, just give us this one win. You know, there were rumors that they were going to do bisexual love Island. A bisexual violence season. I mean, I would like it would be so give a kidney to be on bisexual love island, but I want to be on the UK. U- on UK, yeah, I, I want to be the token American. I don't want to go on American love island. I would do Australian love island as well, um, but I would also just be like mimicking everyone's accent the whole time, and everyone would hate me. Clear, <laughs> but yeah, just like let us have this win. Give us this queer dating show. Call me, cast me, I'm available. <laughs> but that is also just like a really great uh, piece of content if you're looking for something. Yeah. With a little bit of everyone. We spent a long time on that, but it was worth it. Yeah. Um, is it time to talk about... Uh, is it time to talk about Love, Victor? <laughs> oh, we are pathetic. <laughs> People are hating, and you know what? They stay hating, but I don't give a fuck because we like what we like, and we like Love, Victor. So. Well, I have a lot to say, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've had a lot to say about it. I mean, we but. can start out with saying that, obviously, we didn't love Love, Simon, and I think we've maybe talked about it on the pod, but maybe not. Love, Victor touched my heart. It touched my cold heart, and it had, you know, they made some disappointing choices. They did. But all in all, I think it was a win, and I'm excited that it's been renewed for season two. Well, okay, it hasn't. What? It hasn't been renewed, but the season two writer's room has opened. I don't know exactly how that works. I guess it only premiered literally three days ago. (laughs) But I'm sure it had a big premiere. We watched it in... We watched eight episodes in one night, and then two days later, yesterday, we watched the final two episodes. Yeah. Love, Victor... Like you said, just dropped a few days ago. It stars Michael Cimino um, as Victor, a Colombian, Puerto Rican boy, 16-year-old who is struggling with his sexuality. Um, It's his... It's his coming out journey, basically, in 10 yeah. episodes. We'll get into it. Um, yeah. We probably will spoil it. So, again, if you want to watch it, pause us, go watch it, and then come back. Yeah. I mean, even if we do spoil, like, it's still worth watching. Like, it's not... Uh, it's just so, it's so cute. It's yeah. so cute and precious. And I just, we just lo- like, we're both in love with him. He's just the, he's, he's the, the cutest, cutest boy, boy in the, the world. world. Um, the show was originally made for Disney Plus. And, and then, then Disney Plus passed on it because it was too mature. But it, like during the editing process. So it's one of yeah. those things where it's like, look, y'all got the scripts, you know, yeah. like you knew what was happening. So like, yeah. It's an, it's an interesting, you just wonder what the, and it, you wonder what kind of awful things were being said in that room, you know? Like what? Yeah. It feels very, 
I was what I've been saying is that it feels very like ABC Family sort of pre freeform, pre like, Pretty Little Liars. Yeah, like it's family friendly, but it's not childish. So they talk about sex and infidelity and um, obviously sexualities. It's a show that if I was like a 13 year old boy thinking that I might be gay, it'd be a show that I'm like, mom, dad, do you want to like watch this new show? Yeah. I think it's as adults, we have to give it the credit for, you know, being a show for kids about being gay. I think people lose perspective and that's where some of the, I think the majority of the complaints are coming from. Is that it's it's immature They're not going to be sexy. Like, it's not. (laughs) If you're looking for, I was telling Roberto, if you're looking for like sexy. You watch Elite. Yeah, watch Elite. Um, I also really like the show Sex Education on Netflix, which has gay characters as well as straight characters. It has diverse characters. And it is about sex like it's a it's a sexual show and it is about like teenagers discovering their sexuality love victor is not that but i think it's because it's family friendly and it feels very much like a show that you would watch as a whole family like yeah it seems like something that would be a great stepping stone for a teenager who was closeted to kind of get their parents to kind of talk about this um and like let's like let the kids have some gay content. The show follows again Michael and his family. They move from Texas to Atlanta because of some um infidelity. Yeah. With the parents. Which I was not expecting. And I thought it was a really I think it was great that they had that as a theme. The parents are really wonderful. So I think you and I both agree that the best part of Love Simon is Jennifer Gardner. Right. Period. The mom. Yeah. The mom. Well, because her speech, like Honestly, I said like, it before, I prefer <laughs> Jennifer Gardner's speech to the dad's speech in Call Me By Your Name. You can fucking quote me. And look, we're not haters. I we I love Call Me By Your I Name. I love Call Me By Your Name. But that speech just felt you really can exhale like exhale now, Simon. Yeah, like that speech felt self-indulgent, whereas yeah. Jennifer Gardner's speech felt like this is this would be the most beautiful thing a mom could actually tell me. Yeah, a really sweet thing for a mom to say. Um, and of course, it's Jennifer Gardner, who we're both obsessed with. We yeah. just finished season one of Alias. Yeah. Um, love her. But the parents in Love, Victor are really... They're some of the most interesting characters, I think. They're yeah, and they get their, their, get their screen time and their plot lines. And I'm never mad when the parents come on. Oftentimes no. in, like, teen shows, i.e. Gossip Girl, yeah. when there's, like, too much parent, you're like, I don't, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah. But the parents in Love, Victor are played by Anna Ortiz, who you may um, have seen in Ugly Betty or Devious Maids. She is incredible. I love her. She's a great actress. Um, and... Uh, James Martinez, who I'm familiar with from One Day at a Time. But he's so like, handsome. In House of Cards. Unbelievably yeah. handsome. Beautiful. Happy Father's Day to him. <laughs> <laughs> I have to call my dad. Um, it's getting late, babe. Well, he, I, I'm supposed to call at nine okay. because he's waking up at midnight. My dad works the, the night shift, so yeah. he was asleep by the time I called him. Anyway, back to the criticisms. Well, yeah. first of all, let's look at the show, right? Yeah. He The show opens with him kind of excited that he might be able to explore but then he arrives in atlanta and like feels the instant pressure of kind of having to conform and seeing that there is homophobia at the school yes it's it takes place at the same school that love simon does so they have this like legacy of of simon's big coming out and and his first kiss on the ferris wheel i do think it's really interesting the way they paint atlanta 
just because I think you would assume that a bigger city would maybe be more welcoming, but I didn't grow up in Atlanta and I don't, you know, and it, and it, it, it is welcoming, but it's like, there's obviously yeah. still homophobia and his family also are like devout Catholics are Catholics. And there's, there's homophobia within the family. Um, I will say that the greatest disappointment in the show. Yeah. Is the fact that he's not bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, it's, it's twofold for me because of course they spend a lot of the show, him considering that maybe he is bisexual and, yeah. and, and him learning that sexuality is a spectrum and that there's a diverse amount of sexual orientations and he gets a, a relationship with a girl that he really likes and absolutely adores, Yeah, but he doesn't want to be intimate with her. I don't know what I take out of it is first of all, it's, it's nice that he's not sure he's gay when it opens. And yeah. of course there's a part of that that is the internalized homophobia and the self-denial. But then there's another part of it that's like, I mean, how do you know yeah. who you're attracted to? You know, it is a learning curve of kind of figuring out what you like. And it makes sense that he would be like, oh, you know, maybe I like both and, and that's a possibility. And But his sexual attraction to the character of Benji. Yeah, like it's, he's obviously it's just more strongly sexually attracted to this boy than he is the girl. And and but their relationship is genuine. Yeah. And I and I think also it just goes to show you like the importance of platonic friendships and the the love in platonic friendships and like the strength in that. And you know, should he have been romantic with her if he wasn't attracted to her? I mean, he's a teenager, you know, they're they're 16-year-olds. Like it's a lot of and I think a lot of gay men have had girlfriends and yeah. had girlfriends in college and, and tried to do that. And so I think it is important to tell that that story as well. Um but I agree. it was it was one of those things where you kind of root for him and Mia, but then you really root for him and Benji and like yeah. you want him to like I and then my major disappointment was I I honestly just wish that he had come out like four episodes in. Yeah. Instead of that being sort of the, the climax. season. Yeah. Um, yes, Th- that and the, the term whitewashing, I think has been thrown around, thrown around. It's right. not something I can speak on. I feel like it's, yeah, it's, well, it's my job to defer to you on if you see, if you think it's whitewashing. Well, this is what I was thinking, right? I loved the show. I found it delightful. I think I also went into it knowing exactly what it would be, right? I yeah. The, you have, you've watched enough TV to know, like. The origin is a book, yeah. Simon and, what is it? Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda, yeah. written by Rebecca yeah. something, sorry, Rebecca Albertalli, who is, as far as I know, a white straight woman. Yeah. And not to say that you have to have lived that experience in order to write it, but there are certain nuances you miss, right? Yeah. So you have a straight white woman writing a book about a young gay white man and then you see this movie and instantly I felt a lot of I think anger at it at Love Simon at Love Simon I was very disappointed by it well it's it's I think it's that it's the first film by a major studio to focus on on a gay teen romance yeah and I think that's the important phrase to remember major studio because watching it it's like look I've seen gay movies like like that TikTok that's really funny. That's like the white man is obsolete. Like yeah. the white gay man with a perfect life in suburban home. Not to say that 
coming out isn't scary for him, but like we've moved past that. As a society, that story is not the most interesting story. Like it was wonderful to see Jack coming out on Dawson's Creek in 1997. Yeah. And, you know, be hunky and white yeah. and straight passing and, and have come from money. And yeah, I saw that struggle. Like we've been there. We've done that. Yeah. So let's like, you so know, watching the movie, some it, flavor it here. just, it felt so boring. It's also like not even a romance. Like it, it feels it's more, not it feels more like a coming out movie and okay. like his personal journey. And I like Simon as a character. His friends are complete assholes and don't, they are so mean to him and they don't get him at all. And honestly, like the friends were like the most disappointing part of that movie. So the two people who wrote that movie, Isaac Abtaker and Elizabeth Berger. Yeah. Are the showrunners for the show. Yeah. Now I don't know these people, right? I can't, there's only, there's, there's limited information a lot of the times on writers unless they're huge. And we don't know the whole writer's room. We just know the creators. So based on a photo of these two people, like he could be gay. They could be Latin for all I know. But you just look at them and you're like, this is a very vanilla yeah. pairing. Yeah. Assumingly, like, straight. Coming into Love, Victor, knowing all of that, I there, there is an expectation of just a watered down. Yeah. Show. Show. Yeah. And I looked at the writer's room. I was looking at the writer's room for Love, Victor. And again, like, I can see names, but I, I can't see photos. I can't see in-depth biographies. Like, I yeah. don't know these people. But... I actually, funny enough, I met one of them, Danny Fernandez. Oh, he's a writer you, in the show. When did you meet him? Well, he like came into the office where I was interning once. Yeah, he probably doesn't remember. We didn't like chat. I think I I just yeah. I saw him and I like maybe heard some of the meeting. Yeah, but this man is Cuban. Yeah, and I like saw his photo. I'm pretty sure this is him. I could be mistaken, but he he's very like white passing, right? Yeah. That said, this man could be have far deeper ties to his like Cuban Latin culture yeah. than I do to my Colombian, right? Despite yeah. me maybe being more visibly Hispanic. And that's kind of how I was thinking about the show. You know, earlier we were chatting with our roommates and they kind of felt like Victor was whitewashed, whitewashed and he's just like the whitest Hispanic person you've ever seen or, or whatever, right? The discussion is. And for me, it's like, other than listening to reggaeton and like talking to my family in Spanish on the phone, like I don't think there's anything that I do in my day-to-day life that makes me aggressively Latin, right? And I think it's, I mean, not to interrupt you. No, right? you're fine. I, I, it puts me off to hear white people be like, oh, he's so white. He's so whitewashed. Like you don't, you don't know yeah. as a white person what, a Latin person's experiences. And like, to me, his character made sense. Like his, he's Latin. He grew up speaking English in the house. So he's, you know, more comfortable with English. He, but his family does speak Spanish now. And again, his grandparents are, they express frustration that, you know, the teens don't speak very much Spanish. Um, personally, like I would have liked for it to be a Spanish speaking household. I think that would have been a great, opportunity for a presentation to just have them speak Spanish in the house. I understand with like a kid's show, whatever, like they just want to put it in English and they don't want it to have to be subtitled. They just want it to like be for English speakers. I do think they could have made the, made his house Spanish speaking. 
But I don't think that it is misrepresentation to have them speak English at home because there are a great number of Latin people who do speak English at home. So it's like, I don't know what, what is so whitewashed about him that is, that puts people off. Yeah. I think that I'm also on my own personal journey towards yeah. my connection to my my culture. Yeah. Um, you know, I grew up, both my parents are deaf and I came to the States when I was five. So it was yeah. all about integration and in yeah. South Carolina. So it was predominantly white. So yeah. I feel like I'm on that journey. So at the end of the day, do I look at Victor and I'm like, wow, that is me? Like, no. Yeah. Um, but it's, there's, there's a sense of like delight yeah. when watching Love, Victor, when watching Jane the Virgin, when watching Vita for me, that's like, are these my stories? Maybe not. But there's just enough shade. Oh, One Day at a Time. Also incredible show. Yeah. Seeing someone that remotely looks like me. Yeah. And him also being the cutest boy in the world. <laughs> makes me so happy. Yeah. And I think. I don't know. I, I There were missed opportunities in the show. There's enough. But found, it's not a fail. There's enough foundation there for me. Yeah. Like the show at the end of the day is not about him being Latin or struggling, you know? like It's about him being gay. I think Vita. But his Latin culture plays a role. I think Vita is an incredible show in which Hispanic and Latin culture is infused into just yeah. like every scene. Yeah. But I think that is such a very specific that show is incredible because of how specific it is. Yeah. Whereas Love, Victor, like... Clearly the aim for Love, Victor was to, you know, have it be one of those, like, mass-produced kind of big studio things where it's, it is a little bit watered down to appeal to as many people as possible. And because of that, there are missed opportunities. But that doesn't make it false, is I think what yeah. I'm trying to get at. Like, yeah. the way that he acts or whatever does not there could be more but yeah. i don't think there's anything that's like I yeah don't know, i false or i bad definitely or would that's have liked like, to see a little bit more of the grandparents i think i'm less disappointed with season 1 and more just want to see some new things from season 2 i well i want to see more of the sister that was like my biggest fr- frustration is i i didn't think she got enough screen time i would like to see her make friends i'd like to see her experience she experiences some racism it's like touched on it seems um, like yeah like at school and that it but it's really they don't expand on that at all it's just sort of mentioned um i think that that is a huge opportunity for the show um i think the parents are a great opportunity i think I just want to see more out of season two. Yeah. Um, and that can be more of his culture, et cetera, et cetera. I'd also like to see them have a bisexual character. I'd like to see more of the sister. Those are like the main things I want out of season two. Yeah. Ultimately, I am very lenient of the show. But because you know it's for kids. But I, yes, but I think I can also say that after sitting. Mm-hmm. I just have such strong memories of sitting, I mean, throughout all my life, right? But for some reason, like, the strongest memories come from Boston. Sitting in a theater. I think that's because when I got movie pass, I started going to the movie a lot. Yeah. Sitting in a theater and watching trailer after trailer of just, like, pale faces. And it being so disheartening and so upsetting, especially going into the field, right? And then, so I think 
sitting down if a fucking Hulu ad plays for Love, Victor and Michael's beautiful face comes on smiling like that just brings me joy and I want people to watch it I want it to be a success I want them to have a chance to go deeper and it is just like really cute and really precious and you just root for him and just love him and it's just the show's diverse it's diverse it's cute it's precious it's gay there's it makes you smile call me maybe it really makes you smile it really makes you like I didn't cry at any point, but I felt emotional. Well, the the showrunners also do This Is Us. So, like, there's... there's Oh, they know how to do that family drama. There's that heavy sentimentality. Yeah, it is sentimental. Um, Um, I I don't know. I mean, it it just... It just was so... Yeah. Precious and... Exciting. So, we give it our thumbs up, but just be aware of, like, the show that you're going into. and, And don't let the preconceived notions make you hate it. Make you hate a perfectly good yeah. Like, look, show. it was created originally for Disney Plus. It has that Disney vibe. It's a little watery, but it I think goes down I, easy. I genuinely <laughs> think it's better than Love Simon. Yeah, like I think it's an improvement upon Love Simon. I think they took Love Simon and 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 made it better yeah. through this spinoff. So speaking of movies, oh my Roberto gosh. and I have been we're on Letterboxd. Everyone, please, if you're on Letterboxd, it's like a, it's a social media reviewing film review app. Yeah. You can it's not like us. largely social, but I guess it is a social media. Um, you can follow me at RoboGlamJam. You can follow Abby at GrimyHag. You can see all of the, um, some would say embarrassing, I think, incredible, phenomenal. Roberto and I watch most of our movies together, obviously, because we're in lockdown together. He logs all of the Lifetime movies that we watch. I don't log the Lifetime movies. So if you want a real accurate depiction of what we're watching, you'd look at Roberto's <laughs> diary. My diary um, is a little bit, you know, it's less than accurate. Um, but we have been making some gay movie lists. We started, well, we we sat down to watch um, the snooze fest that was Lizzie. God, so um, disappointing. And it really inspired Abby to make um, a list of homophobic gay films. <laughs> just films that are insulting. Basically, just because they're so bad. The worst of queer cinema. Um, I haven't, honestly, I haven't even seen that many of like the worst gay depictions because if I think a movie is going to be a poor depiction of, of queerness, then I don't watch the movie. Um, I made a list. I have a couple lists on on my letterbox. I made a list a couple years ago of, of black queer films that I need to expand on for sure. But that list exists. But the list I was working on yesterday is my homophobia list, which is just the worst of queer cinema, which of course includes Lizzie, um, which is the Lizzie Borden movie with Chloe Sevigny and um, Kristen Stewart. That is honestly like halfway through. I was, I was falling asleep, but like you looked like you were so into it. But I was like, Oh God. Oh, I wasn't, I was, I was like, okay, like, you know, when it gets to the very end, the very end is kind of fun. Like when you actually get to the murder, but that is like 20 minutes of the two hour movie. Yeah. And that's unacceptable to me. (laughs) There should not be 20 interesting minutes in a two hour film. Like it just, I, and I also was on the edge of my seat waiting for something interesting to happen and like waiting for it to be interesting. And it just simply was not. Um, and just a total missed opportunity of like, you know, it's, obviously supposed to be a commentary on like what it was like to be a woman in 1890 and 
also a queer woman in 1890 and having, you know, like a homosexual affair, but it just like missed the bullseye by a mile. Like it just doesn't hit on any of those points. Um, the gay sex scene was kind of nice. Like it wasn't a bad, I, like don't remember. There was, there was nudity, but the nudity was non-sexual. Yeah. The sex scene was like, they're on a stack of hay, like fingering. Yeah. But it's like a focus on their faces, which is I think a nice choice aesthetically. <laughs> um, the movie Freefall, the German gay film fi- Freefall, would it have killed them to have a conversation? Those two men never talk to each other for the whole movie. It's pretty much like sexual assault in the beginning of the film. It's honestly, it's there horrifying. There are two cops. And one <laughs> of they're them, two cops. Yeah, they're, they're cops. They're two cops. One of them has a pregnant girlfriend. And then they start having sex, but it looks so violent. Well, it, it's like the gay cop is, like, seducing the cop with the girlfriend. But the first sex scene doesn't really even seem like it's consensual, but they never really even touch on that. And then they start having an affair, and, like, they fall in love. But they don't talk, really. They don't talk to each other. They just have angry sex. I mean, I think there's obviously a huge conversation to be had around hyper-masculinity in the gay community and how that affects gay men. But if for you want you and, that film, like yeah. you can maybe watch Beach Rats, which yeah. was like slightly more interesting. But for but... Roberto and I, it was not. It was no. not the moment. Um, I'll also mention the Danish girl because I think it's, I think it's just the biggest letdown <laughs> of a film ever, and I I don't like anything about it, and I don't respect anything about it, and I think we should all be able to agree that trans people deserve so much better than that movie. Um, and then also Chasing Amy, <laughs> which I also wrote an essay about Chasing Amy in my queer theory class because it's like, like, if you look at it as a movie about, like, how fragile and weak male ego is and, like, hyper-masculinity and the lie of of that, you know, toxic masculinity, then it actually is kind of an effective commentary because the men in the movie are just such assholes. But if you don't look at it through that lens, it's just an awful, terrible movie that is also, like, lesbophobic. (laughs) Um, Also, if any man was going to turn a lesbian, it just simply would not be Ben Affleck. Maybe Henry Cavill. Uh, I would would (laughs) say yes. He's turned a few female heads. (laughs) Um, If you're looking for some great films, though, if you're looking for some maybe gay essentials. Yeah, Roberto's um, making his gay essentials letterbox list. I have, of course, the classics, you know, the ones you expect. You know, we have Carol, we have Moonlight, all those Oscar heavy hitters. Um, Call me by your name and I'll call you by mine. Debbie Ryan Heretuck. <laughs> um, but, oh, to see without my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, for some movies that maybe you didn't hear of, um, ones that I've really enjoyed, there is uh, a movie that came out last year called Straight Up that was really confronting, personally. Lily ran into the cast at the club. Oh my God. It's directed by James Sweeney, and he's also starring in it. Um, and Kate Finlay, who you might recognize from The Carrie Diaries. If you have taste. Or How to Get Away with Murder. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a straight, or it's a gay man who is so neurotic and clenched and um, kind of scared and uncomfortable with the idea of, like, gay sex. Yeah. Or just, like, sexuality like that. Where yeah. he's like, you know what? Maybe I'm not gay. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's someone that 
you know, didn't have a choice in coming out. The world kind of forced They him. caught a vibe. They, ca- they caught a vibe, you know? Yeah. They maybe saw a limp wrist. Um, and <laughs> I'll edit that out. No, um, it's funny. <laughs> um, You're allowed to say things like that. Um, <laughs> Let your freak flag fly. But he, he's just like, you know what? Maybe I am straight. I never got a chance to explore that. Yeah. And it's just him finding a best friend, yeah. you know, maybe a hag archetype, yeah. you know, the grace to What's that will. like? <laughs> um, and kind of, you know, what makes a romantic relationship, what makes a sexual relationship. Yeah. You know, he's like, I love this woman despite not being sexually attracted to her. And it's just, it's a really interesting look at the will and grace complex, if you will. Um, another great Which movie. Which we know a little something about. <laughs> another great movie, A Fantastic Woman. Came out in 2017, um, directed by Sebastian Lelio and starring Daniela Vega. Um, it's about a young trans woman in Chile who um, is in a relationship with this man. Um, but after his untimely death, his family, of course, won't let her go to the funeral. And, you know, it's kind of just her figuring out, you know, the next step. Um, it's a really wonderful movie. Um, and then I ended it with Closet Monster. Um, Which I've never seen, and I I didn't even know that you had seen it. I feel like we've never talked about it, but I saw it on the list. It's from 2015, directed by Stephen Dunn, and it stars one of my faves, Connor Jessup. He is a really talented actor. You might have caught him on... When he was younger, he was on that TNT show, Falling Skies, and then he is in American Crime, which is my favorite show. Um... He is gay. He is dating Young Goth. IRL. At Young Goth. Yeah, IRL. I saw them on a date, actually. Yeah. In real life. LA, baby. Um, And he's a great actor, but the movie is, you know, he kind of has an abusive father and he, there's a new cute guy at school, I think played by like a really hot French guy. And um, it's really like, there's a lot of like surreal elements. Like he has a talking hamster. Um his life kind of just sucks so he just has a vibrant imagination and oh, it's really beautiful and he's into like special effects makeup so he's like always wearing him and his friends are just always like wearing fun makeup and that sounds like a movie i would love it's wonderful it's happy it's, and you other you put other great movies on the list too yeah so check it out yeah um, super good list it'll be linked we're gonna have a bunch of links in this this particular episode so click them <laughs> don't be shy you have nothing else to do don't be shy click the link Put on a mask. Um, wear masks. <laughs> we are still in a pandemic, y'all, and I need you to remember It did not that, go please. anywhere. It did not go please. anywhere. Unless you live in New Zealand, bitch. So put that mask on. If you live in LA and if you're in Glendale, I'm hiking, pissed at you. Hiking without that mask on, we fucking see you and we are offended. Um, okay, we're going to end on, of course, plugging our Pride 2020 playlist. It's really good. We have to plug this pretty intensely because we put a lot of effort into our playlists. (laughs) This isn't casual for us. It's not like we threw together just some like random, you know, king princess songs. And like, no, we would never. Not in this house. (laughs) In this house, never. (laughs) Um, You know, and it's not like we're out here giving you like the Spotify algorithm build playlists, although they have some really great pride playlists out our pride playlist is the gay cancer playlist (laughs) did you listen to it did you identify with it as a gay cancer no um i've looked at their astrology playlists before i didn't identify with the virgo playlist um 
sorry. Um, I honestly feel like you, do you have Virgo in your chart? No. You have a very Virgo tendencies. I have Cancer and Leo. Oh, yeah. What's just, that's it? You have repeated, something repeated in your I think so. I think, yeah. I'm um, Virgo, Scorpio, Taurus. I really identify with my, with my Scorpio um, rising sign. I identify (laughs) with my Cancer. I think the loudest parts of me are, are the Leo, right? But. Yeah, the more loud parts of you. <laughs> but every other aspect yeah. of me is like... But we put in, we put so much effort in artfully curating this playlist for you. Some and of it, the songs are about being gay. Other songs are just by gay artists. The, uh, hi- some of the highlights, Lil Nas X. Of course. Steve Lacey, Perfume Genius, Moses Sumney and Sufjan Stevens, Make Out in My Car, great song. Annie DeFranco. Etc. There's also a good variety. Tyler the Creator. We have pop. We have rap. We have, we have country. We have pop. country. So experimental. A little bit for everyone. So it is. A, it's a. It's a sonic hug. It's also important. We're not shuffle playlist Don't, bitches. Oh my god! Do not oh listen to god. this on shuffle. It oh would be the most disrespectful god. thing if you don't pay for Spotify. Then you play one song at a time. Play it in order, start at the beginning, get to the end. This is artful curation. This is not a fucking like shuffle it around mixtape bullshit. This is some serious front to back arc narrative story. The transitions are incredibly important. We take them very seriously. Um, And it shows in the quality of the product. So we're going to we're going to finish this up. But there's going to be hella links, resources, places to donate, Playlists on Letterboxd, <laughs> playlists on Spotify, etc. And um, be sure to follow us at Dearly Departed the Pod on Instagram and at Dearly De Podcast on Twitter. We have a lot of exciting stuff coming. We have so much relief. I don't. We're not going to say. We're not gonna no, spoil no, no, anything. no. But we have really exciting stuff coming. Like so exciting, and we have a lot of fun shows that we're going to cover. We have. Really exciting minisodes that may or may not feature really exciting guests. Yeah. Um, it's like, uh, this isn't a game. This isn't a fucking drill. I know that this podcast has been dormant. I know that we sometimes have a long time between podcast episodes. But we're not sitting around. We are. But we're also working on new content. And it's coming. And we are, we're going to get it together with a schedule. We're going to get our shit together. At the end of the day, despite being in quarantine. Yeah. We work hard to survive. You work hard. <laughs> and if we were being paid for this, you know. Then we would do it all the time. Like, at Shutter, at BetterHelp. <laughs> <laughs> Give us that ad uh, revenue. At Boxed Wine, <laughs> any boxed wine company. We will try any boxed wine brand, <laughs> period. Send it our way. Uh, all right. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Happy Pride Month. Be gay. Do crime. Thank you. Period.